started. Uh, Mark, can I ask you to open us for a prayer? prayer? Thank you. <laughs> he got, uh, Dietmar got plenty of hugs uh, Thursday night in our, in our community group. Showed up and we we're like, Dietmar's here! I asked him if he still spoke English. If he, if he, if he remembered uh, how to still speak. Ah, there you go. So, yeah. <laughs> so today uh, we're going to... Uh, but uh, well, I'll use the term dip into. We're going to dip into an understanding of the power of God. And so when, when I give you that that sort of theme, you, you really understand in your heart, in your soul as a believer, that, that the power of God is infinite. It is infinitely awesome. And um, as I was uh, studying, uh, I came upon a few things, and uh, I actually went to uh, YouTube to look up, uh, uh, I'm going to use the phrase natural disasters because that's what our culture uh, uses all the time. There was a time in history, I can remember years ago, you know, looking at terms and conditions of contracts and things like that, they didn't use natural disasters. What was the phrase that they used? Acts of God, right? So, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the further we get on in history, the less and less God is is recognized as being behind these significant events. And Mother Nature, Mother Nature is, is another one, yeah. So I, I went uh, and, and uh, sort of uh, Googled the, the tsunami, the 2004 tsunami, which took upwards of 250-plus thousand lives in three different continents. It was, was, I, it was been such a long time since I saw videos of it and um, I was watching it, and the even even the video doesn't do justice. You'd really have to be there to see the awesomeness of this wave that came through these continents, um, and um, the utter ruin and the destruction of human life. Um, you know, when you look at that kind of awesomeness, um, and and I want you to think about this for a second. There, there, there is. I don't even know what the what the number is. Dietmar is the engineer, so he, he probably he, he could probably tell us what this is. But I'm going to write up here the number of gallons. Is that five, one, two, three, five. Yeah, that's that's the approximation, human estimate estimate of the number of gallons of water that uh, cover the earth. Um, I don't even know what that number is. But, but the, the amount of gallons that was forced onto land by the tsunami, 2004 tsunami, wasn't even one trillionth that amount. It wasn't even that, that much water, considering all the water that's on there. And when you look at the fact that God Almighty um, moves the waters, okay, when the water comes in, you know, the tide goes out, he moves all these waters. If any of you have had kids and have had those little bathing pools, you know, those uh, blow-up bathing pools or the little plastic ones in your backyard and, uh, you know, can't keep them in one place too long, right? What happens? Yeah, the grass dies, right? 
So, you know, you find yourself out there occasionally trying to move these things, right? And if you're moving them, uh, I don't know how many gallons is in one of those, but that's pretty hard, right? Just imagine the power it takes to bring the tide in right out. It's, it's remarkable. So when you look at these, these acts of God, this awesome tsunami that came in 2004 on account of an earthquake, um, uh, as a human, you look at that and there is this incredible, incredible vulnerability that, that, that comes over you. You, you watch this video, and I'm not necessarily recommending you watch it, but you see individuals holding on to trees and poles with, with all their strength, and they just, boom, get swept away. And, uh, and, and you watch this, and you, there's such a, an incredible sense of vulnerability that, that, that there is something, there is someone greater than, than us here. And it's not just this force of nature, if you will. There is God Almighty. And so um, last week we talked about um, sort of the second half of the sufficiency of God. We spent quite a bit of time on um, really our contentment and what that means relative to the sufficiency of God today, uh, beholding the power of God. And so when you, when you look at... Uh, God's attributes, you can categorize them in many different ways, but one way to categorize them is you can, you can look at the greatness of God, okay? And there are attributes that are within that category. In the greatness of God, you have the sufficiency of God, you have the power of God. You have the goodness of God, uh, and, and in, in that category, you have uh, uh, his, his moral, if you will, the moral characteristics of God, his mercy, his faithfulness, his love. Um, and so we'll, we're going to be talking in the next four weeks um, about um, goodness of God as we've spent some time here on, uh, on the greatness of God. So I'd like to begin with uh, 1 Chronicles um, chapter 29, verses 11 through 13. It's in your notes there, um, New American Standard. Uh, can I get somebody to read that? Everything that is in there for. This is, um, you know, the context here is David... Um, worshiping God, um, temple, and uh, not the construction constructed one that his son would build, King Solomon. But uh, he's just praising the Lord and he's giving offerings, um, looking forward to that uh, temple being built. And it is wonderful. He, that is God, is the one who gives power and might. He is the one who gives strength to all of us. Um, and the God of power gives us the power and strength that we need. And... Uh, I was uh, in my study. Uh, you know, you run across these things as you're, you know, reading books and uh, certainly looking at passages of scripture and trying to connect them all and looking at ancillary uh, commentaries and those types of things. And you know, you run across this question here. Well, you know, this was uh, actually wrestled with uh, by a, a secular author. Um, I think his name was Rabbi Bruce or Ben Kushner. Uh, Kushner, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, the question he was wrestling with was, why do bad things happen to good people? Um, and so I'd, I'd like to, what's wrong with that question? Let's sort of uh, parse that question and sort of determine as a group, is there a problem with the question before we even, before we even answer that question? Okay, yeah, there you go. 
Right. So you need to define something right away, right? You know, how, how are you defining, first of all, how are you defining good people, right? I mean, what did Jesus say about, yeah, there is no good person except God, right? Okay. Yes, very good. It, it's, 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 it's of the world. It's very fleshly. And, and if you're looking at it um, from a divine perspective, what is it attacking? It's attacking the character of God, right? Is it attacking the greatness of God? Yes. Is it attacking the goodness of God? Yes. Right? Do you know what his conclusion was? So let me ask you this. I don't know if anybody's had somebody ask you this question. I, I would guess somebody in this room had this question asked of you in some shape, some way, shape, or form. Anybody? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Talk about it at work. Very good. It's just a tremendous question. I, you know, I, um, I personally never had anybody ask me this question, but uh, I brought it up to folks as I'm talking to them and ask them what their opinion is of it. Because you really get a good sense of where people are at in terms of, you know, their thoughts of God and man and, you know, when these kind of questions come up. So um, uh, Rabbi Kushner um, came up with two premises. His first premise was um, either God is good, but he's not powerful enough, or he's powerful enough, but he's not all good. Those were his two premises that he, that he came up with uh, for, for this here. And, of course, it's, it's completely wrong. It's completely incorrect in terms of... Um, who God is and what He's like, and of course that was brought up. Jesus Christ said in Mark ten eighteen and Luke eighteen nineteen, there is no one that's good except God. He's the only one that that, that is genuinely good. And uh, we read in Job thirteen fifteen, this is Job's response <coughs> to the trials that he was currently in. Though He slay me, yet will I hope in Him. The Lord gave. And the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Job one, twenty-one. So, Job's soul could be still because he knew the power of God was more than enough for him. And Daniel four thirty-five says this: All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he that is God does according to His will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? So God does whatever his divine wisdom, love, faithfulness, and mercy says to do. He's our Father, and he loves to work in us in, uh, in our behalf. So we'll talk more about uh, uh, this uh, question in, in a little bit. But uh, a couple of quotes from uh, three theologians about the power of God. Uh, Erickson says, God is able to do all things that are proper objects of his power, that is his wisdom, his love, mercy, kindness, and faithfulness to his promises. The evidence of God's unlimited power is in his name, El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. Sharnak says, the power of God is that ability and strength whereby he can bring to pass whatsoever he pleases, whatsoever his infinite wisdom may direct, and whatsoever his infinite purity of his will may resolve. As holiness uh, is the beauty of all God's attributes, so power is that which gives life and action to all the perfections of the divine nature. How vain would be the eternal counsels if power did not step 
in to execute them. Without power, his mercy would be, would be but feeble pity, his promises empty sound, his threatenings a mere scarecrow. God's power is like himself, infinite, eternal, incomprehensible. It can neither be checked, restrained, nor frustrated by the creature. And R.A. Torrey said, God can do all things. Nothing is too hard for him. All things are possible with him. The exercise of God's power is limited only by his own wise and holy loving will. God can do anything, but will do only what infinite wisdom and holiness and love So, that God has all power means that he possesses absolute might. In other words, he's omnipotent. Mark uh, used that term when he's praying. Omnipotent, seem, uh, in, in essence, means that uh, God is all-powerful. That's just um, sort of a theolo- theological name for it. God is able to do whatever he wills and whatever in the way that he wills it. Um, and, of course, the assumption there is that whatever God wills is perfect. Uh, the word dunamis... Um, we're, we get a, um, our English word. What's the word that we get? Get the word dynamite. That's his power, his ability, uh, or physical or moral, as residing in a person or God. In this particular case, it means that omnipotent means that God is able. So, Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse nine. Um, you guys, have that in your. your you read Second Corinthians nine nine. Or, yeah, nine. You need, in Ephesians 3.20, we read, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever, forever and ever. Amen. And then in Romans 4.21 and 20 and 21, about Abraham, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. So whatever God promises, he's able to do because he is all-powerful. I would say that our understanding um, of God's power certainly affects our understanding of his promises. We understand God's power. When we read his promises, we certainly expect that those will occur. So we have that kind of anticipation. Um, let me ask this question. It's kind of a trick, a trick question. Can, can you hold the power of God in your arms? Okay, that's a, that, well, that, would, that would be, a, and it, it is a trick question. Hold God's power in your Good. arms. Good. I tried to. Try to? All right. I just thought about this when I was studying. It's just, it's an interesting thought. What do you think Simeon would say to that? Testament Simeon say to that? Simeon say that you can hold the power of God in his arms. Pardon me? Yeah, yeah. So it's... That was even just... Yeah. But, I mean, I don't think we can... Yeah. So. Yeah. It is remarkable that in Christ Jesus, who created the world, right, by his word, um, that uh, Simeon um, could uh, stand there and uh, hold him in his arms and... Um, and remember all the promises of the coming Messiah, and have that blessing to. I think we phrase it in terms. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So, uh, you know, when you think about um, U.S. Treasuries, U.S. bonds, they're they're said to be the most secure 
investment in all the world. <laughs> um, so uh, the promissory note of a U.S. Treasury, um, as, as secure as, as it is said to be, um, certainly can fail, but certainly the, the promises of God can't. So uh, the promises God, of God will not mean much unless we understand the power of God to carry and fulfill those promises. And then, um, you know, God's power throughout all the universe, we see it, you know, I mentioned just the, the awesomeness of uh, tragedies like tsunamis, uh, acts of God like that. The power of God is in us. I mean, think about Think about your name being written in the book of life before the foundations of the earth made. Your name is there. God created you. God elected you. He saved you. He is in the process of sanctifying you. So that the power of God is, is remarkable. It is above words. It is in you. God is working his power in you to, uh, for his glory. So there really is no room for our instability unless we don't know him as we ought to know him. Um, so just like Simeon uh, you know, beheld the promised Messiah, there is a promise that is just as real as the Messiah being held in his arms. Um, Jesus Christ promised that he would come again. Promised that he would come again. And uh, because he said he would come, uh, he will. And it's because he has the power to do that. Uh, that's what compelled the Apostle Paul to say in Second Timothy 1.12, For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard that which I have entrusted to him until that day. 7.25, Therefore he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jude 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. By the way, think about that. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. The implication there is that we don't have to mess up. God is able to keep us from stumbling. Of course, you know, when we mess up, when we sin, that's our choice. But God is able, as a believer in Jesus Christ, with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the sin, the power of sin, is, is no longer over us. We don't. We are not bound by that power of sin anymore. So He is able to make stand, uh, make a stand in the presence of His glory, blameless, and with great joy. So we, uh, uh, God is omnipotent. Uh, that means He is able, um, and we also see His power in creation. And this is a remarkable verse. This really kind of gives, uh, again, another dimension of God's awesomeness, his bigness. In Isaiah 40, verse 12, we read, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? This is speaking of God. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales. So he's talking about his creation, right? The heavens, the mountains, the hills, and, and he's and he's doing something with those those awesome that awesome those awesome elements of his creation. What's he using as a measure? What what's he measuring the heavens with? Okay, right. A span. Do you, everybody know what a span is? A span is um, 
Somebody says approximately a span. A span is like three of your hands together. So if I had, you know, one here, one here, and one here, that would be a span. So depending on the size of people's hands, a span is like a foot to a foot and a half, okay? So, so to God, from his perspective, the, these heavens are just like a, a span to him. It's just like a, it's a mere foot, a foot and a half. He talks about the mountains being measured, being weighed. That's, of course, an impossibility for, for us, but it's not impossible for him scale. So um, it, it's just an awesome thing, uh, his power. In the beginning, God created. God said, let there be. His word is, is power in creation. God spoke and it came into existence. Uh, God's word is, is transforming in our minds and in our hearts. It's continually transforming us into his image. And uh, in, in Psalm 33, verses 6 through 9, somebody could read that. Yeah. Of course, when, when the, more, the more we read, there, there, there comes over us this awe and reverence, uh, this, this, this deep soul stillness, this soul satisfaction that, 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 that sort of humbles us. Not sort of, it does. It completely humbles us. And, 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 and when we started out, beginning of this, this module, be still and know that I am God, this, this stillness comes with an understanding of the, and his complete sufficiency. So our soul can be still because we know the power of God and its ability uh, to do what he's intended, which is always perfect. So we see his power in creation, and fourthly, we see his power in providence or preservation. So... Um, we uh, we talked about earlier this you know this sense in our culture of you know no longer using the phrase acts of God you know but this uh, Mother Nature does these things or this um, you know at these natural disasters um, but we know Amos three six and in other places we read if a trumpet is blown in a city will not the people tremble. If a calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? So let me ask you your, your understanding of that passage of Scripture. It says, second half, if a calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? What does that mean? Okay? Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's good. What else comes to mind? Other qualifying things come to mind? Obviously, God is not the author of sin, right? Yes. That's good. Anybody else? Well, yeah. yeah. Very good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I don't remember that. Um, yeah. It's the only way to sure. ask that question. All the circumstances. Yeah. Right. That's human emotion. Right. Where we've got to stop is trying to challenge God. Yeah. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but He knows what's going to happen a thousand years down the road. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So let me let me sort of take your comment and, and ask a question and sort of filter back into what we're talking about here. You know, why doesn't God destroy Satan? Why doesn't he? Why why hasn't God destroyed Satan? So let's. I mean, we've kind of given all the answers here. What would our answer be? Okay. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, God. God is using Satan's evil hatred. For his benevolent plan. 
that's that's the answer to that. It's not time. It's not time. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, because you know, oftentimes we ask the question why, um, and uh, said this before. Um, if you have kids or have been around kids, kids ask the question why a lot, right? But why? Sometimes that's sincere, right? And sometimes it's what? It's not. It's not sincere. It's re- it's rebellion, um, right? Well, right. Well, they continue to ask why, 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 because your response is not satisfying their passions <laughs> at the time. So, the question of why um, comes up, and sometimes God does give us an answer specifically, and I would say many times He doesn't. So the the answer to why should always fall on who God is. It, it, Mark's talking about you know all of these things that are, we're, we're working through. And God is behind all of that. And if by faith we are addressing these, you know, he's working all these things together for good. And, and in eternity, uh, maybe some, maybe all, will be revealed to us as to the why. You know, we don't really know. But imagine this, that the power of God is infinite. I, your minds and my mind cannot completely, we can't get a hold of that. We will be experiencing and learning about God's power infinitely. A million years from now, we'll be, we'll, it, you know, we'll be together. Yeah, I don't, that'll be fun, won't it? I just said that. Won't that be something? A million years from now, um, and Lord willing, We'll be in glory, I know that, for all of us, but, you know, maybe past the millennial, you know, and, and it'll just be unbelievable, it'll be incredible. And we'll be saying the same thing. You know what? In another million years, although I don't know the time will be relevant to us at that point, you know, in another million years, we'll still be learning about him. It's, it's never, never. And so when you begin to sort of ponder these things, there's, there's this joy that wells up in you. You know, think about in our, in our culture, you know, about our government. Think about Illinois' government. Okay, now, yeah, I, I expected that. I expected a snicker, a laugh, right? It should be, you know, it should be worse than that. But think of the Illinois uh, legislature and the terrible, terrible uh, fiscal responsibility, amongst other things, uh, they're, they're, you know, Terrible, terrible, immoral things that they've legislated, um, and think about you know the federal government, and 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 we vote for someone to to be a voice for us of of righteousness, of justice, and maybe that person gets in office, and that person gets up and stands in front of a a group of congressmen and women, and or senator men and women, and speaks the truth justly, righteously. And, 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 and their words fall on deaf ears. Nothing happens because of them. They're overruled. They're overruled. And God, in his providence and in his power, in his, in his own omnipotent way, um, overrules the, the wise and just counsel and allows foolishness to, to take over. And, and it is in part... It is in part that God uses these things for his judgment, 
on nations. And these things happen in our lives. And, uh, but we can, we can trust God. I mean, his power in government, you know, Pharaoh, Sennacherib, Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. Um, Pilate. I mean, there, there, there was an individual who, you know, humanly speaking, had the power, right? Humanly speaking, had the power to let him go. Yes? Everything down in all Yeah. So, uh, first, that God has all power means that uh, he possesses absolute might. And secondly, that God... Yeah. <laughs> um, so, secondly, that God has all power means that he possesses absolute right. Um, um, that absolute exousia is the New Testament word to most sort of a uh, freedom of action, a right to act. Used of God, of course, that's absolute. It's perfect. It's it's complete in Him. Um, uh, so God is His control is absolute. Um, there is absolutely nothing that can occur in all the universe outside of God's sovereign control. We said that in many different ways in our discussion this morning. Um, you know, Linda brought this up. You know, God's control of things sometimes isn't always apparent, right? I mean, just sometimes it's just not apparent. But um, but uh, we just need to, as been expressed a number of different ways this morning, we to fill our minds um, with the Word of God. We need to take every thought captive. Our thoughts and our beliefs drive um, drive uh, views in our life. Um, our thoughts and our beliefs drive the unstillness or the noise in our soul. So as we fill our minds and our hearts with the Word of God constantly, um, and, and, and even you know within the context here of knowing God and His power, when things are not apparent to us, okay? And you know I, I'm not trying to be crass here, but they don't have to be. You know, God doesn't necessarily reveal all things to us in terms of why, the why, the answer to the why. But, but like Job, right, you know, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. That is the heart of uh, a genuine believer. So it's almost time for us to finish, so I don't want to go through some of these passages. But um, certain Bible characters that epitomize a faithful and steadfast understanding of the power of God um, and I just mentioned a few of these. You know, Abraham did not go to that mountain with a contingency plan. It was, he didn't know. He didn't know exactly how it was going to, you know, all work its way out. But uh, he was absolutely faithful and, and ready. And, and he knew the power of God. He understood the power of God. So how Moses can stand up against the Red Sea, all hemmed in, with nowhere to go against a superior foe, and say, do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord. Humanly speaking, they were going to get crushed, just annihilated. He knew the power of God. Um, Esther, that's how Esther could go before a king unannounced, when that meant basically if you did that, you were going to get your head cut off or something. Um, Joseph, you know, we talk about a dysfunctional family, right? I came from a dysfunctional family. What did Joseph had? Uh, he had what? He didn't have one mother. He had four mothers. Okay, he had ten brothers that hated him, right? Um, I mean, he had a doting father, right, that preferred him, which is not a good thing. 
Um, by the way, you know, that means your background in hereditary doesn't have to ruin you, does it? We, we don't have any excuses here. Um, many bad breaks, many bad breaks. God told him in a dream that people would bow down to him. The sheaves, the sun, the moon, the stars would bow down to him, right? Just, you know, event after event after event, faithful, and just would be attacked, faithful, faithful through everything, gets thrown in jail, and and then he, uh, he sees the countenance of someone. The countenance was sad. If, you know, think of that. I mean, you're going through life and you're living for the Lord and you're faithfully doing these things and just, bam, you're just getting hammered every single time. And, you know, a woman is after him and he's just doing right, doing right, doing right, gets thrown in jail for doing right. And, of course, he had this dream and he's thinking, oh, what's, you know, what kind of dream was that? You know, he could become sarcastic, right? And, uh, And somebody says, you know, listen, I had a bad dream and I'm worried about this. You know, if he wasn't right with God, he might have said, uh, yeah, right, I'll tell you about dreams. Let me tell you about my dream and where I'm at today, right? I mean, that, that could have been his attitude, but it wasn't. I mean, he recognized the sad countenance of a person and right with God, and he was able to help. No, it helped, you know, one person, the other one, you know, it, it is what it is, but... Uh, what was behind it all? It was the power of God to bring about his promise to Joseph that the sheaves would bow and the sun and the moon and the stars would bow to him. He understood the power of God and his faithfulness. And uh, just to kind of bring everything into conclusion, really, um, our souls can rest because God's power is more than enough for us. That's um, as succinctly as we can get relative to God's power. Dave, can I ask you to close this uh, in prayer, please? <laughs>